Welcome to KafaroCast, everyone. I am running solo. Frank, the tank, cougar hunter, tort life, Peralta, is in Idaho running with the Mormons. Uh, and uh, I have a super cool special guest. Every guest is special. This one's super special. Calvin Halliday. Calvin, is this the first, po- po- first podcast you've ever been on? <laughs> yeah, the first one ever uh, today. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this what? is my third appointment be on this podcast though this is what uh, i'm glad we follow we follow through on this one here oh lord dude this morning i was having all kinds of problems and malfunctions trying to get you on this thing i uh several phone calls a couple military orders some other problems i'm finally like hopefully he actually answers my text now i've blown him off for four hours <laughs> no worries i'm pulled over on the side of the freeway so we're fine. Oh, gotcha. Well, that make sure and speak into the mic. So, uh, Cal, you own, uh, basically you're an outfitter, and then you work for Bob Beck, or I guess just tell the crowd, everybody listening, what it is exactly you do, other than stir up shit. Sure. So, I, I, I do quite a few different things. Um, I am one of the owners of Sheep Mountain Outfitters, so there's four of us uh, in total uh, in a partnership on that, the outfitting business, and, and that's a fantastic thing. We're an Oregon-based outfitter kind of specialize in uh, mule deer, uh, bighorn sheep, mountain goats, uh, and elk. Um, the only thing we don't really do a lot of is antelope. Um, and then, yeah, I, I work for Bob Beck. Uh, Bob owns uh, MOA Rifles, Extreme Outer Limit. He owns a, a multitude of outdoor industry uh, businesses, and I, I work for Bob on the sales side of things. Uh, we hunt a lot together. Um, he has some long-range shooting schools that I instruct at as well, um, so I'm part of the, uh, the EOL MLA team and do all that. Gotcha. So how many, uh, I mean, I see your photos or whatever. I mean, you guys usually get the governor's tag holder, I guess, is what I'm getting at for sheep, don't you? Yeah, uh, that's pretty pretty standard. Uh, we usually, uh, you know, we try and do the, the auction sheep hunter. Uh, last year we had the auction sheep hunter, uh, mountain goat hunter, and we did uh, an auction elk hunt as well with Bob Beck. So, so yeah, we uh, we do quite a few of those over in Oregon. Um there, there's quite a few, there's like four auction deer tags, four auction elk, and then sheep and antelope and, um, and goat. And, uh, we'll get our fair share of those every year for sure. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I actually went and visited, uh, this, um, I guess, was it January, February? Shit, I can't even remember. I went back home and then, uh, went over to, uh, Eastern Oregon to hang out with you and Bob and, uh, do some videos and, uh, on the long range pack that, uh, we're making for you guys but uh one of the one of the things i wanted to get you on here is because you're so freaking funny online um what are kind of your views of how the industry is is going these days and uh from because you're you're kind of in but not you know you're not an insta famous guy you're more in as an outfitter and a guy who actually kills shit um but you're a you're fit dude you're in the military you work out um no homo and uh kill a ton of shit what is your views kind of how the outdoor industry is going because of social media because i know you make fun of it all the time which i enjoy oh i i do i used to be a lot more uh i used to make a lot more fun of it i think now i I keep to myself even a little more Uh, maybe i'm maturing or maybe i'm getting weak i don't know what it is um (laughs) But, but yeah, I, I do think there's a, there's a huge separation from uh, the doers and the talkers, with, without a doubt in my mind. Um, so, so now instead of publicly uh, making myself sound like a total asshole, I, just, I think I keep it in my circle that's pretty tight, <laughs> you know, uh, including you, Aaron. And, uh, 
and we'll laugh and chuckle about it at, at the end of the day. Um, There's some not be, funny memes you know, that go around. What's that? There's some funny memes that go around. There's some, yeah, yeah, we got some funny group group messages out there. Um, but but it's tough, you know. Uh, at the at the end of the day, we want to support anybody that is that you know that is in the outdoor industry and is a hunter or uh, you know at least involved in any outdoor recreational activity for certain. Um, but at the same time, I, I use this analogy all the time. So you're, you're a military guy, Aaron, um, as well as myself. And, you know, people just say, Hey, it's easier just not to say something, you know, just ignore him. You know, it's not affecting you at all. Well, you know, like I use this, I use this analogy all the time. If you and I walked into an AMPM somewhere and we had some soldier walk in in his uniform, you know, and his uniform was all dicked up. Are you going to say something to him? Yeah. I, I mean, I am. Yeah. I mean, you're going to say something to him, right? Whether you're a you're a veteran like yourself, a retired guy, or a guy that's still still in like myself, and we're going to say something to him because we feel like he's a representation of us, right? Because we were members or are members of that institution, and we feel like the fact that his mil- his uniform's all dicked up, he represents us. So we're going to correct that guy on the spot and not let him bring down the organization that we proudly represent, right? So. I think guys like you and I uh, are proud to be hunters um, and actual guys that go out and hunt and get it done and, and enjoy it for the right reasons. So those guys who like to pretend or the, the talkers, if you will, the, the guys that aren't the 10% that actually do, but like to act like they're the 10% that do, um, yeah, I've got no problem saying stuff to guys like that uh, because of that reason. I feel like we need to uphold a standard, and the more you let get away with and get away with and get away with the more the standard continues to slide downhill and downhill. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, but uh, that's the way I kind of think about it. I agree. I think the, the one thing, um, if you ever make someone cu- uh, fun of someone cause they're, um, cause, I don't know, cause they're fat and they get super defensive. Well, it's probably cause they're fat and it bothers them. Well, you can say I have been fat and I still consider myself kind of fat. And if you poke fun of me because I'm fat. I poke fun right along. Like I'm confident in what I'm doing. You get to a point. Um, well, you and I've talked about this. I'm not a great trophy hunter. If you make fun of me about that, I don't get mad because it's true. Like I'm like, ah, yeah, <laughs> I'm not very good at it. I black out. I wake up, my quiver's empty and there's blood trails crossing blood trails. Not sure what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a great trophy hunter and I don't, don't have an issue with that. I think where the problem lies, if you poke fun of guys that are super defensive because they maybe know they're wrong, it it does go downhill pretty fast there. Um, and I don't, uh, you know, a lot of the promotion of different, maybe products, for example, that are kind of bought and paid for, like, you know, without a doubt, if you're going to go buy binoculars and you have an unlimited budget, no one's going to convince me that they're not going to buy Swaro, Leica or Zeiss. That's what they're hundred percent. And that, that's one that, that one strikes a chord with me all the time because, you see these guys promoting, let's use optics as an example, you know, and I'm, I'm all, you know, it's super cliche to say, but buy the best you can afford without a doubt. I've been there and had Bushnell binoculars and then I had XYZ brand. And then, you know, and eventually I figured out because I was spending my own money that Rocky binoculars are the best binoculars for me. That's what I like the best. And I feel is the best, but don't tell me that, brand XYZ is the best brand out there and everybody needs to use it and you're tagging them on Instagram and this and XYZ when 
you know damn well if I gave you $3,000 cash, that brand XYZ is not the binocular you would buy with your own money at the end of the day, you know? Right. No, and no, guys, I, I agree. They, they will defend that brand like they're going to war for those guys because they gave them free gear. That's all it is. Or they get a highly discounted price on the free gear, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm not saying I don't ever receive free gear from any companies, but I tell you what, it's, I don't receive free gear from companies that I don't believe in or weren't using and purchasing at full price before I ever got free gear. Right. That's generally, and that's one thing I try to explain to people because I don't pay for anything, but I have paid for everything at one time. And I mean, I'm paying for it now, whether I get it free or not, but <laughs> the Here's here's my 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 shtick or my beef on this is there is nothing wrong as you said by the best you can afford. Not I mean I think Maven makes a great binocular for example. Um, I got some new Loophole BX fives in for the money. Great binocular. Yep. But they're yep. not they're not a Swaro. I mean they're just not. Yeah. And they're not ever going to be. I mean when I say not ever going to be that specific binocular is not now. Obviously, those companies are working, um, you know, all these companies are working on making better products. What gets me is when you see someone point blank say this optic, this, you know, whatever is better or as good as this other product. That is that's where I kind of get a little twitchy because it's like, look, man, I mean, let's face one. Have you spent 14 hours behind a spotter? Because yeah. Uh, have you- <laughs> Have <laughs> you ever actually used it? But I, I'm the same way, and I realize that you know I, I work you know with EOL and MOA. I realize there's you know marketing is a real strategy uh, within the industry, and everybody wants to sell optics or rifles or backpacks, whatever you want to sell, right? Um, but I actually will get turned off from a company by the people they choose to represent them at times. You know, um, I'll look at a said product that comes out and. And they're like, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. I wonder, wonder about that. And then I look at the guys that they choose to send out all this. They blast the industry with all this free product, right? And the guys that they choose to be the face of their business. And I go, absolutely, I'm not ever going to use it now. No doubt in my mind. If that's who they choose to represent them, I will never use the product. So, yeah, you've told me that before. I don't know if that makes me a total asshole, but that's exactly how I think. Um, just because... I feel like those people they're choosing to use the product are not authentic people um, at the end of the day. Right. And I mean, you get to a point where it is hard at times to turn your head at a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Like to a certain point, I don't like the water. I don't go near the pool. You know, I don't like this TV show. I change the channel. And But there's a certain point where you know bad info is getting put out, right? That is when I yeah, am like compelled. an institution or as a group of hunters as a whole. It doesn't bring us up at all. No, no, and, and it and and it most definitely you know makes a guy purchasing a product on a budget uh, with bad information pissed off later. There, I mean, on and on and on. There's always a good. There's always a top three product, right? There's always you know if you look at packs. Obviously, I work for Kafaru. I'm going to put us in the top three. But let's say. Um, Kafaru, Stone Glacier, and Mystery Ranch, or 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 EXO, or whoever the big three are, you know, everybody's going to have their own opinions of what of those three are. But legitimately, they're all three pretty damn good. Um, but yeah. if somebody comes up and says, "I'm not going to mention any other packs names because I don't want to get bashed," a company that sold out of I don't know whatever a sporting goods store out of Cabela's, 
if someone gets on and says, hey, that packs as good as a Kafaro, I don't know why you're wasting your money. Well, for Christ's sake, man, if it was that good, I mean, we'd be out of business for one. We've been in business for like 30 years. Like, um, it's bad info. And in your case, I mean, how many animals are you packing out a year? Oh, on my back, I bet 30, you know, roughly 30, 50 on a high year. 20 on a low year, but yeah, a lot. I mean, 30, you know, I've kind of kept track over the past few years and I'm average probably 30 or 35 a year. Right. And I mean, that's where I think people need to understand if you're taking advice from a guy who packs out one or two, I mean, they're a, they're a, they're a yellow belt or a blue belt, right? Like, um, you know, and, and you, and then you compare to a guy where, you know, people think I kill a lot or I get to go on a lot of hunts, which I do. And I'm up in that 30 to 50 a year. That's a lot. Now go to a guy like Clay Lancaster, 350 yeah. sheep hunts in his lifetime, just sheep alone. And, 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 and very, I mean, very few people know who Clay Lancaster is because uh, he's not insta-famous. But, you know, take, take advice from the guys that are in that, that percentage of packing out a lot of animals or shooting a lot of animals. Like, don't take advice from me on shooting a gun. I know how to actually shoot a gun. But you talk about ballistic coefficients, I'm fucking retarded. I don't know what I'm talking about. Talk to Cal, They're talk exactly to John Pinch. And I think it's super important that we humble ourselves to know that we each have our own niche, right? Like, you know, I have my area of expertise. Like, okay, so I'm a, I'm, I'm a bow hunter and I rifle hunt. I kind of do both, probably 50-50. But I am that guy with a bow. I don't know shit about setting my own bow up. I literally know nothing. Like, heaven forbid my string come apart on the mountain. Rifle, totally different ball game for me. But I, you know, if I, what I know well is that there's a subject matter expert out there for everything. And if you're reading in between the lines and you're really paying attention, if I had a question about going and hunting sheep in the North Country, it's, it's probably not the guy out there with 30,000 Instagram followers that I'm going to ask what to do. It's a guy like Clay Lancaster or the guys that have been there, done that, and actually got the T-shirt that I'm going to ask, you know. So my bow, I package up every year or I go drive seven hours to a, a pro shop that I trust and I sit with them, you know, and have my bow completely gone through and they, and I learn from them every year. That's, that's what I do because I know I'm not the expert on that subject. So I'm not going to pretend. Well, and it, and it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I'll give you an example. I don't know what I'd been on, maybe 15 sheep hunts or something before I went up there. I mean, what a lot of people would consider a lot of sheep hunts, but in the grand scheme of things, not very many sheep hunts. And then I go up there with Clay, and you want to talk about catapulting me into the future of, one, how to score sheep, um, you know, sheep behavior. I was just insane. I mean, what I learned with him was, I mean, has put me so far ahead now, it's not even funny. But, you know, he's going on 50 a year, so I mean, 30, I don't know, however many a year. Yep. It's it's insane. And uh, yep. you, you go to like, I he's did a... To try and blow himself up to be, you know, insta famous if he was. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, obviously, he and I talk all the time, and he talks shit because he thinks it's hilarious, and he doesn't care because he's like, ah, whatever. Listen to that guy. I don't care if you kill a sheep or not. I only care when if you call me. Then I, I, I really care if you kill a sheep. But uh, I did a podcast with with Dudley yesterday, and we were talking about like, um, you know, arrow flight and, and advice people are giving. Um, you know, social media, online, you know, forums or whatever. And it, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with people trying to help other people out. I think that's great. It's just there's a certain point in time that you need to just say, I don't know. I mean, I say I don't know all the time about guns or fly fishing or golf. I just don't know. Yeah. 
that's kind of the beautiful thing about the podcast platform is you, you know, I can sit here and John Dudley being, you know, one of the top archers in the world and listen in an hour while I drive my truck about John Dudley talk about his thoughts on, you know, on front of center and aero flight and this and this. And that, that's fantastic that I can do that. But at the same time, it gives everybody in the world a voice that wants to have a podcast. And pretty soon, a guy listens to the one-hour podcast about John Dudley, and then he's down at his little Glero shop, and it's, you know, that meme that, like, oh, well, I heard it on a podcast once, you know? <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And then every, everybody's an expert overnight, you know? Um, again, it, more of the, the talker and, and not necessarily as much a doer. Right. No, no, for sure. And, I mean, you know, I get that. Alaska's a big one because I haven't spent much time in Alaska and I, and I just, even though I've been in uh, uh, Canada quite a bit and the territories a bit, um, you know, I don't know about Alaska. I've been there a few times, but it's like there's there's many people better than me to answer your question. Um, you know, when I start divvying them out to all these different people I know, I'm like, call this guy, you know, like um, like Tyler Friel, who he makes me laugh on a very consistent basis. Um, the guy's funny. Oh, dude. And, you know, it, I don't know what he's, I don't even, I, I mean, he just was able to grow facial hair, right? I don't think he's even 30 yet. And uh, I think he's killed 12, 12 doll sheep on do-it-yourself backpack hunts and I don't know how much other animals. And, you know, he's getting it done every year. And it's like, hey, what? why are you getting a hold of me? Because I have 50,000 followers. Get a hold of Tyler Friel, right? He's he's a guy that's been, you know, if you want to learn about a do-it-yourself backpack hunt been for sheep. actually getting it done for a long, long time, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, he just shot a grizzly with a, or was a black bear. He shot a black bear with a wooden arrow and a flint nap point or whatever. Just to, mostly I think he did it because uh, Levi Morgan was pissing him off and he wanted to, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know why Tyler did that, but he did it. He blew straight through it. It was crazy. But, uh, you know, I mean, just being a, uh, being um, as upfront as you can with what you do know and, and what you don't. And, um, you know, when, when people are listening and I mean, believe me, there's times that I want to say stuff that I can't because I'm in the position I'm in where I'm like, really? Come on, dude. <laughs> like you went on one backpack hunt. Let's face it. You're not exactly an expert. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. my views change every year uh, a little bit on, on certain things as far as how much misery I was in the year before. Anything from different gear setups, different packs, like the one year you had, you ran a heavy pack from us. The next year you asked for a light one and then you're like, all right, I need a happy medium. Like, let's get one with yep. this, this and this. But just because... One year, you may have an 18-mile deep backpack in-hunt. You're probably going to be a little worried more about weight than you were the year before when you were going in a mile or two. Um, shit changes all the time. Yeah, my kit has evolved immensely over even the last five years. Um, and I find myself, you know, I, oh, I want to go the other direction. And then I go, well, I don't know if it was worth the sacrifice. Because I'm the guy that's like, you know... I laugh when guys are cutting the handles off their toothbrushes, but they walk around with a beer belly at the same time. You know, I'm like, man, if you just exercised or did this, you're cleaned your diet up, you know, we, you could have a toothbrush that had a handle on it kind of thing, you know? So I, I bounce back and forth between what can sustain that 20, 30, 40, 50 animals a year. And, uh, what's going to be able to handle that load consistently over the period of year, because I'm a terrible person about gear maintenance because I find that I just, I'm going all the time, whether I'm packing something out or on a hunt of my own or a guided outfitted hunt or something like that. 
Um, so I'm trying to consistently find the balance of what, what works perfect for me. That's why I have probably, you know, I've got four, five, six different Kafaru packs that I bounce between depending on the hunt. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. And I mean, none, of, it's all relative to what you're doing. And I mean, I try to explain that to, you know, people in Colorado, the weather isn't horrible during bow season. A lot of times it's quite pleasant. What is not pleasant is the lack of oxygen um, or the climb in. And so there's always these variables. And the only reason why I'm bringing this up is the guy that you talk to who has been faced with multiple different variables is the guy you want to get info from, meaning a guy that's hunted, you know, in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Colorado, Canada, Alaska. He's experienced all the different things and can give you a very well-rounded answer. Those are the guys you want to get info from. Uh, just, just uh, you know, not to go on an info bashing session, but for the amount of questions I get and misinformation guys have, you know, just make sure that you're getting good info so you're not wasting money, um, you know, on certain things. And, I mean, optics is a prime example. You're not going to die on a mountain because you have crappy optics. You, I mean, it, it doesn't keep you alive. But at the same time, you're probably not going to be very effective if you can't see shit on a mule deer hunt, uh, especially a high country mule deer hunt or over in some of that areas you hunt because your eyes are bugging out and you have a migraine from looking through the glass. So it's all a matter of perspective of what you're doing. Oh, totally. I, I tell people it's the aha moment when, when a guy gets his first pair of like 4015, for example, and you put him on a tripod for the first time and you find your first bedded buck or a sheep or whatever it may be. And you'll go, oh, my God, I can't believe the amount of shit I have probably missed over the years because I did not have this, <laughs> you know, and it'll almost make you sick. Oh, dude, believe me. I mean, Frank and I, we get all this stuff to test. And uh, I mean, example, we backpacked in way in and it was super early. Right. I mean, it's just happened. Not all the deer up in the high country. And so we're really having to pick things apart. And, you know, about two and a half hours into it, I found the first deer good buck and i mean literally it was bedded with its ass towards me about a probably 1200 to a me a thousand a thousand to 1200 meters out in bristlecomb and literally looked like a boulder like i had to watch it for three to four minutes to make sure it was a deer and then it moved its head you ain't finding that shit with low price glass you're just not and yeah, you, that's the kind of stuff where you really see a difference. So a lot of people may not ever need that. You know, if you're hunting Western Oregon, you don't need that shit. You can't see anything anyway. Um, Very true. Kind of guys that don't even use binoculars over there. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I've given the advice. I don't know how you feel about this, but a guy will say, "Hey, I have a, I don't know, brand X, which is about a thousand dollar pair of binoculars, and I'm looking at spending about another thousand on a spotting scope." My general advice is sell the binoculars you have, save the thousand bucks, and buy a two thousand plus dollar set of binoculars, and don't worry about the spotter glass off a tripod with your binoculars. Yep, hundred percent. I tell guys the same thing all the time. Um, uh, when you start to put a pair of binoculars on a tripod, the game changes substantially. And I'd rather see a guy have a pair of tens or twelves on a tripod, and he's going to outglass the guy with the a cheap, you know, a cheaper spotting scope and a cheaper pair of binoculars all day long over the other guy. And that's, that's just a fact after seeing it over the years and all the time. Uh, we see it with guys that buy these, you know, long range rifles and stuff and uh, they invest all this money there and then they want to go cheap on a, on a spotting scope, you know, and I'm like, man, just 
go without or do you know use this for a while and just save your dollars and, and invest in a good quality flying scope. It doesn't have to be a Swarovski uh, by any means, but something of the higher quality out there in the market. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. What are you running for optics now yourself? So I've, I've bounced all around over the years. I mean, I like literally started with a pair of Bushnell binoculars and, and worked my way up. And um, I have a pair of 15 by 56 SLCs that I love. Um, I did have a 80 millimeter Swaro HD spine scope and I sold that recently and did buy the new, the Hubble, the 95 with, uh, with the 65 objective as well. And I actually just picked up probably my favorite pair of binoculars I've ever had. They're a pair of, uh, 10 by 56 Swaro SLCs. Um, the brightest glass I've ever looked through in my life. Yeah. That you um, can't get those in America, really UA hole. They were only sold in Europe for a long time, and only a few pairs were imported into the U.S. And my Swarovski dealer, I had been on his ass for years that I wanted that pair of binoculars, and he said you couldn't get them. And he called me up and said, hey, there's only a couple of pairs come to the U.S. You want them? And I said, yeah, mail them to me. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. What do you feel? I mean, I get this question a lot, and, it, and it, it's really dependent upon the person. Eights or tens? Uh, for a day to day, and then if you own a spotter or without, like uh, you know, there could be cause to say run eights if you have a ninety-five. Um, but if you're not packing the ninety-five around, the tens might be better, or even twelves. What do you usually give for advice on that? You know, I I myself, Aaron, am figuring that out and like dialing my kit because the real monkey wrench thrown into this is the BTX eyepiece on the frost. Because now you have that BTX on thirty or thirty-five power. Uh, we're all talking about how we don't seem to use our 15s nearly as much anymore. Anymore, So, you know, I will not be surprised if my kit goes to the BTX with a 65 if I want a little less power or the Hubble 95, and then I'm running my 10s on a tripod um, more, more times than not. I can't find the use for 8 myself, and that's because I think it's purely because of the country I hunt. I, you know, it's either super high country stuff or Tell Canyon. Um, and the, I'm a power whore about that. I like to have that power. I, I handhold and test carry 15 really often. Um, and, and I'll hear on other podcasts guys say that that's absolutely insane. You'll never do that. Um, yeah, it probably is for most people in most countries. Um, I think the country that I hunt, you've been to Hell Canyon, you've seen it, it's the deepest deepest, largest canyon in North America. So um, I really like to have the power. It helps find that cheap, you know, that cheap ass that's two, two miles away laying on a ridge or something like that. Um, it makes a big difference for me. So that's kind of the way I've dialed my kit. But I do tell guys if they want like a real good, great crossover binocular that does everything, that that 12 by 50 Swaro um the Swaro Vision model is is super hard. Yeah, Frank ran the twelves for a while, and I think what Most it got. Most guys that run those love them. Well, I think what changed with Frank was um, the same thing that changed with me because I had twelves for a while. Is I'm like, why the hell am I packing twelves in a ninety five six miles in? I'll just deal with tens in the ninety five. And and Frank and I this year have been going back and forth, screwing around with some of the bigger spotters. He's been packing that eighty two. Uh, Leica or I have and and uh, going back and forth between that and the Swaro and then throwing uh, some of the other ones in the mix like uh, the Maven um, you know just for reviews we've got a couple Nikons we've been screwing around with just for this review that we're doing um, the Hubble is unmatched uh, in my opinion now that's not to say the Leica is not as crisp because it is I mean the Leica 
in many ways is just as good and a couple ways is better, but it's not a 95 and, and it ain't ever going to be. <laughs> so that's the light gathering of that yeah, 95. Like Bass Hunting Partners run that Leica and I think it's fantastic glass. Um, I just, I've, I've tried to use it and my eyes are used to this Roski glass and the, the color, color that I see out there. And the Leica has a different hue color that actually appears to people to be brighter. And I think it's because of the color contrast in the, in the optic itself. Not necessarily that it's any brighter. Um, but I tell you what, I can't find shit in that scope. Like you could lay an antler in the middle of a hayfield and I think I'd miss it because my brain doesn't recognize that color as an antler. I'm so used to the other, the other glass. So that's why I don't think I could ever switch. Yeah, no, no, you're right. And believe me, I was running, um, the other day, uh, the, this last trip, I actually, I packed in those, um, uh, BX fives. Just, I told Reza I'd, I'd give them a good review, but I had like a Noctavids, um, in my uh, harness as well, and then those other binos in the pack. It's a heavy fucking pack in, let me tell you. And uh, Frank was running Zeiss SFs, and we left the Swirls at home. And there's from those three, um, obviously one being a you know thousand dollar price point binocular, and the other one being in the mid to upper twos. Um, all of them have different color variations, and and I don't know think that people understand a deer will be three different colors through three different sets of glass. It will have a different yeah. shade. And Swarovski has maybe even an unnatural brightness to where things appear more like vibrant. And you get used to the color of a deer in a Swaro. It is different through a Leica or any other piece of glass. I agree totally because I called you about it. And I'm like, dude, what do you think about these? And, he's, and you told me, you're like, they're bright. I can't find shit. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's something that's not spoken about a lot. I don't know why guys don't talk about that, um, but that is my experience 100% uh, bouncing back and forth between, you know, the big three brands. And uh, But I've got buddies that I hunt with that are absolutely fantastic glassers, and they use the Leica, and they really like it, um, or they use Zeiss or, or what have you. And, and I tell you, just bouncing back and forth, it's, you know, I think, Aaron, when a guy glasses, I have a very – you know, specific way that I will pick apart a hillside. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone over a mule deer three or four times until I actually see him. And I'm like, oh, my God, dumbass, he's damn it. He's right there. How did you miss him? And the link is between our eyeballs and our brain. Your brain has to recognize that what your eyeballs are seeing is a deer and realize, and, and tell you that it's a deer, you know. Um, so if that color is completely different and it's the color that you notice versus, you know, what guys talk about a horizontal backbone or an ear flickering or this or that. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the color or a white sheep ass is what I'm looking for most of the time. That's what my brain seems to recognize. And if you change that color on me, I am worthless. I am absolutely worthless out there. Well, if you're used to looking at mule deer and then you go to looking for sheep, that's another problem in and of itself. Because sheep and mule deer, sheep are the hardest thing for me to find unless they've got the long john britches facing you. It's hard to yeah. find a sheep. Oh, oh, shit, they're right there. Dude, it was when we were on Phil's sheep hunt, we came up on this ridge. And just because I looked at sheep so much, I like a sniper hit me, I dropped. And Phil and Braden, you know, they've been looking for mule deer their whole life. They've never been on a sheep hunt. And they're looking and they can't find them. They can't find them. And I, I'm... Can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, see the giant boulder, you know, whatever. Yep. Okay. Go down see the bristle comb. Yep. Just below that, you see that rock pile? Yep. I'm like, those are sheep. Like, what? And I'm like, that's 13 rams in a band. 
they're all together. It looks like boulders. Well, they were not used to looking at that grayish sheep tint that looks like a freaking rock, right? I mean, it just does. They're, you, they were looking for mule deer. And I guarantee you if those were mule deer bedded there, they would have picked them out. But they were sheep. And they, it was, yep. they just weren't used to it. It doesn't register that as, as an animal that they're looking for. No, for sure. And when you do like, um, you know, target deception type stuff or whatever you want to call it, like let's say if you line up somebody on a, on a, on a curb and 20 yards out in a uh, tree line, you put like a penny sideways in a tree, you put a pencil sideways, uh, you know, you put all these different little things. Are you recognizing a sideways penny? No, you're recognizing something not natural to the environment. You are, you are, you're not like, oh, that's a fucking sideways penny. No, you're not. You're like, oh, that shit doesn't look like a tree. Well, I, that goes along the lines exactly with what you're talking about. And dude, I don't know how many times I've glassed up one deer. And then an hour later, I figured out there's 13 more around him that I just did not see because they look like rocks. Yep. That's, that's the truth of it. I, I was going to say that, um, I got my hands on a pair of those new Maven binoculars. Um, kind of, I, I think that's a super great binocular at the price point um, compared to other binoculars in its price point. That's where I've really been sending a lot of guys lately to there. Um, I think it's a badass binocular, and uh, the guys seem to be pretty cool over there as well. But if the Maven guys are listening, we need to. They they got to make a bigger spotting scope. I think their scope is it twenty five to fifty. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, twenty five to. Yeah, 25 yeah. to 50, yep. What the hell are you going to do with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that people, one of the reasons I packed that fucking Hubble is it goes to 70. And I like yeah. that 70 power. I, I, I <laughs> never bring a 50 power spot and scope anywhere. Uh, maybe that's because I'm in a niche uh, niche area or something. Um, but, oh my God, 50, 25 to 50, they got to at least get a... 60 power. There was a time, and I still do often run a 2550 wide on a Swarrow, um, especially when I had an 80. Uh, but it depends on what and where I'm glassing. You know what I mean? If you're different situations, I like her the wild with a wider angle. But in the high country, a lot of times you're glassing a mile away. And you may not be, you're not going to count inches, but you're certainly going to see a silhouette to know, well, I need to get closer. And, and a 50 just doesn't have enough legs on it. In a lot of cases, otherwise we'd all pack 15s around and ditch the spotter because you can certainly see a and hell of a lot more. Right. I find myself I scan on 30 power a ton on my spotting scope if I'm if I'm doing that, um, but I've got to have that extra power, especially for sheep or goats, um, to to get up there and read you know annual eye rings or really see what's going on. Uh, and sometimes I I'm at 70 and I want more. <laughs> oh, I know. How do you um? Uh, go about like on the side of uh, like picking apart the side of a mountain. I've, I've been asked this a bunch. Why don't you go about how your glassing technique is and I'll do mine, see if they differ at all from beginning to end. Like, you know, you pop your big ass down on your pad, you pull out your spotter and your binos. What do you do first and what are you doing through like the whole sequence? So I, I'm pretty systematic. It's just the way that I've always been. Um, you, I will hardly even handhold my binoculars. If I know I'm going to sit in glass, I will sit down and pull my tripod out immediately before I do anything. And, uh, you know, I'll have a buddy with me a lot of times, and he might turn something up quicker than me because it's just right there, and I haven't even bothered to glass yet because he's, you know, on his elbows and knees and, and doing that. But um, I go to the tripod immediately, and then uh, I look for, uh, like, high, you know, like super target-rich environment first. So your number one area is like um, the ridge lines, 
uh, or if there's a big trail dissecting the hillside, I will check that trail. I'll look at the potential bedding areas on the hogbacks, and I will look at that first. That's not like level one. Then I'll migrate, and I do it just as uh, I think I was told taught to do this in the military. Uh, I start at the very top, and I go from left to right, just the same way that we read, um, because I'm trying to get my brain to recognize the thing that is obviously not wide out in the open, or I would have already seen it. I'm trying to get my brain to systematically recognize what I'm actually seeing with my eyes. So I do it like I read a book, and I work from left to right. And then I'll move down and I'll lock the pan, move from left to right, and do that the entire time. And I've found if I do it consistently the same way every time, I think I find more animals. If I don't find anything there, then the scope comes out. I start on a lower power and I really start burning into those bedding areas. And I use the term burning. Um, You're probably familiar with it, another military term. But looking past the first focal plane of whatever you're looking into, you know, there might be a tree there but I want to focus my scope beyond the tree, and I'm looking through the tree behind it. That's how I found that buck I was just talking about the other day. Was Yeah. Because if, the, the, if I wouldn't have looked through the tree, I wouldn't have seen the ass because the tree was on the first. I was looking to the second, like second level or second stage. Yep. So it's the same. Like I t- teach guys, like when they're, when they're shooting long range, right, they want to focus their scope on the animal itself out there at, say, 1,000 yards. They have to take their focus ring on their spotting scope and adjust so they focus actually about three-quarters of the way the distance to the target so we can read the mirage at the target, uh, you know, in front of the target that the bullet is actually going to be traveling through when it's greatest, greatest affected by the wind. Um, it's, the, it's the exact opposite of that. So I'm actually focusing beyond the first focal plane object that I'm looking at, and I'm focusing past it. So the tree is blurry, and I'm focused behind it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That's what I do. It works well for me. I have guys that are just like absolute crackheads that are great hunters with me all the time that they just scan and scan and scan super fast. And if there's nothing out that's obvious, they'll get up and leave. Uh, that being said, they'll find a lot of animals sometimes doing that super quick, and they might beat me to them. Um, but I'll find the harder to find animal, and I will find everything at them. Yeah, no, and I, I I'm a little bit different. Um... There's a stage where I lack in, and I think probably everybody has a certain stage of glassing where they maybe aren't as as, uh, uh, as good as maybe somebody else. So, for example, I I don't glass off a, tri- off a tripod with the binos initially. I pop down, grab my pad, generally put a chew in, grab my water, and get ready for a long sit. And I freehand the binos in low-hanging fruit. And I'm doing the exact same thing you do. I'm not on a tripod. And... Luckily in Colorado, you can see with your eyes trails on the side of a mountain. You can see yeah. all the goat paths. I, I, I hit all of those. I hit any anything that I would think would be a, a quote-unquote feeding area if it's that time where I can maybe pick them on their feet. I glass super fast in a few areas, and then I slow down, and I glass with no tripod. And I pick up a lot of animals quicker than other guys do. Um and then in my weak point is probably that midpoint where Frank is on the binoculars. I'm bad about going straight from freehanding binos to the spotter. I, I yep. <laughs> I'm bad. And there is shit I'll find that Frank is like, how did you see that? Well, he's found five and I found the hard one, if that makes any sense. Like yep. he's picked up five. Totally. I just flat out missed. But I found that one that was the unattainable because I've went straight 
I do a little bit of spastic crap with the the spotter first, but then I grid and I do exactly like you, top to bottom, left to right, and I I'll, I'll generally do that methodically, but not nearly as methodical as the next level, where I'm looking at every chunk of shade, looking through every patch, you know, because a lot of times, and you know this, I'm picking up velvet, sticking above bristle comb, sticking above a log. And that's where I'll excel, but that midpoint where guys are glassing off uh, binoculars, I'll get my ass handed to me because I'm looking at through a spotter that's got way less field of view. Yep, and I, I need to improve on my system as well because I will get my ass kicked next to somebody sometimes. You know, I hunted with a buddy, Cody, um, general season mule deer, high country uh, in Idaho, and uh, I'm sitting down there and I'm taking my sweet-ass time putting my you know binoculars on the tripod and Cody goes, oh, buck, right there. And it was wide open. I mean, I would have seen him, out, you know, but I was so focused on getting ready and being too systematic about my approach. And he goes, oh, yep, I'm going to kill him, you know, <laughs> and cranked him, you know. And I'm like, well, that's because he, admit, you know, he took a good look at everything right in front of him first. And I can't tell you how many times I've glass and glass and glass and nothing. And I look out of my binoculars right down below me and there's a bear right there or something like that. Do you, I, I think Robbie Denning has, uh, he said it, and it was funny because I was telling him a story, then he told me to read his book, which I hardly ever read, so sorry, Robbie, but always glass, don't ever forget the 400 yards in front of you, and I'm bad about that. I've messed that up so many times. Dude, that one mule deer that uh, a couple years ago, I mean, legit, like 220 typical four by four, like the kind of, the kind of, that's a record. Um, I didn't glass, like I'm glassing a thousand yards out. And after an hour, I look down below my camp and 250 yards away is like a 170, you know, pretty tight racked. I mean, not real wide, real tall, real massive buck right below my camp looking at me. The, the buck has probably been watching me the entire time, and that buck is smart because he's got smart enough to stay there because most people aren't looking for him there right in the middle of bristle cone. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. And what was crazy, I went down. I would have killed him with a recurve. He got up out of his bed right when I crested over the top to kill him. He was nine yards away, and I just couldn't get the full draw. He didn't know what was going on. He walked off. And the first thing I thought of was I didn't blow him out. Get your fat ass back up to the top of that hill. He's going somewhere else and kill him. I got to the top of the hill, and in the midst of that, right before I got to the top, I looked back, grabbed my binos, and he picked up two other bucks that were not 50 yards from him. And they're all kind of looking around, just checking the situation. Those bucks bagged below my camp probably three days prior every day and knew they were safe because I was too stupid to look down there because they've, <laughs> yep. they have learned that is a safe area for them. Cause a dumb shit's like me looking at area where the deer should be instead of where the deer are. <laughs> yep. It's amazing where an animal can live and grow old uh, because they're in an overlooked area. Uh, I've seen that with sheep, uh, deer, elk, all, all the above, you know, um, we killed a really big, uh, you're an Oregon guy. So you get, you know, the bull's 380, um, and he was a typical six by seven, which, you know, I know in Arizona they might not think that that's a nephew giant, but in Oregon they just don't get that big. And that bull lived in a spot that you could glass from the same spot. You know, it was a, a pull-off on a road, 
And I bet you dozens and dozens of people looked from this specific pull-off. But because we looked at a little different angle from the pull-off and were glassing so deep down there, we were able to see him. He lived in just a little niche that nobody looked in. And he lived his whole life there. We know that because he picked up multiple sets of sheds in the same area, in the same little niche that he that he ended up, you know, we ended up killing him in. But. Dude, that's how this deer was, was that it was a trail, but it was... 50 yard the trail was 50 yards to the right of the ridge so you had to go 50 yards to the left and go up to the top of the ridge and then go down one terrace and then you could actually see where he was he was smart nobody thought to ever look there walking up the trail. i mean i guarantee that deer's dies of old age um and i mean and again robbie said it best don't don't forget about the 400 yards in front of you and in the high country in colorado you've gone nine miles in the fucking deer don't know, right? <laughs> they bed where they're safe just because you think they should be somewhere. If you've got, they've got everything they need below you. And I mean, dude, you know how many times I've sat down, glassed or whatever, stood up and then a deer pops in front of me or an elk at 150, 200 yards away. And I didn't even look and it was there the entire time. And I mean, that's definitely something for people to uh, keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And side note, you really should read Robbie's book. I read it. It is the single best hunting mule deer book i've ever read in my life it's fantastic dude i tell you robbie and and my buddy alex the big ginger out east he it drives them crazy i'm a shitty trophy hunter i mean robbie flat out he's like you're an idiot (laughs) and i'm like what he's like he said think about it dude you can shoot as good as anyone you physical fitness is at a level of very few you can glass like crazy and you shoot 165 inch deer every year and i'm like yeah but i'm happy they're like yeah you're an idiot like what is wrong with you and and truly what's wrong with me is i'm bloodthirsty one but two i think there's something in each person's dna you've got the same dna robbie's got it ain't going down unless it's giant i mean you guys were me i well the recurves change things but i'm horrible I could see a 180-inch deer a mile away and a 165-inch deer uh, 250 yards away. I'm not getting by the 165. I'm going to end up shooting it. And it, fuck it, Robbie, it drives him crazy. And Alex, dude, you'd laugh because you're like Alex, right? We're out east and a 165, 70-inch deer pops up. I'm like, let me out the truck. I'm going to kill it. He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and <I>, he's <laughs> taking your... Oh, dude, you, the one time we were driving by and one was standing beside the road, I'm like, stop the truck. I'm jumping out. He's like, hold the fuck on. Give me the binoculars. And he looks, he's like, you're not killing that thing. And I'm like, come on. He's like, no, you're not shooting that deer. And I'm like, it's right there though. I can kill that thing in less than five minutes. He's like, I don't give a shit if you can shoot it from the truck. You're not killing that deer, Aaron. And I'm like, come on. I was like a kid. Come on, man. But those guys, you, you're only after the big deer. And I mean, bigger deer are hard to kill. Bigger sheep are hard to kill. There's no doubt. I mean, they're smarter. They've lived too many lives. They've lived too many seasons of getting shot at by dumb shits. They know. I mean, it's harder to kill big animals. It's, I mean, some of them, it's amazing they ever even die from a bullet or an arrow. They're just that smart. Oh, without a doubt. Maybe uh, maybe you should blame it on the fact that you're from Oregon because I, I think I have that same disorder myself in my personal hunting because, you know, I joke with friends all the time that I kill the same 280-inch six-point bull and 160-inch mule deer every year, you know, in, in this state. And 
you know, I mean, like the last bull that I shot last year was the same thing. I, I drew my bow back on him, and I'm like literally thinking this as I'm settling my pin on him. I'm saying, yep, another 280-inch six-point. This is what it's going to be. But it's a general over-the-counter elk hunt in the state of Oregon, and you're just not going to not shoot that bull, you know? Yeah, um, no, no. Just I, like the yeah, 60-inch yeah. buck bedded in the rim rock in an over-the-counter unit, you know? Um, so the guy's got to have perspective about where he's at. I was recently looking at uh, some landowner tags in Colorado and talking to some guys about it. And I said, you know, hey, do you think there's 180-inch potential? You know, the unit you and I were talking about, Aaron. Yeah. I said, do you think there's 100-inch potential in that unit? And they're going, Cal, you could kill 180-inch deer in any unit in Colorado. That is no big thing. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I'm, I'm just an Oregon guy. <laughs> I can't, you cannot say that about every unit in the state of Oregon, you know. Yeah, oh, no, for, for sure. And I mean, like, that that one unit that you're talking about, um, you know, for example, the glassing there, like, you're going to have your work cut out for you, and I'm sure Robert told you, everything looks like a fucking deer. Everything looks like a deer. Like, one of the biggest bucks we've killed out of there in the last 10 years, um, I, I don't know, dude, I bet I glassed over it 35 times. I mean, I sat on yeah. the same spot, for, and for, the, only thing that's, the only thing that screwed it is it stood up to turn around and that, that, that did it in. And when it stood up and turned around, I was like, all right, grab your gun. And, and cause I didn't have, I don't gun hunt, you know, or not very often. And he's like, what? I'm like, let's go. And, and this guy that I was with was kind of a planner. And I'm like, no plan needed. Get the fuck up. We're going. And he, <laughs> he was like, well, what do you think? I'm like, we'll plan on the way. This thing has been there for probably three hours. It ain't moving. We can literally walk up to it and stab it. Like, it is in a perfect spot. Let's go. But it was one of those things where most guys, I got lucky when it moved. But, I mean, the deer that will come out of there just surprise you. You know, you'll see 50, 60 bucks in a day, but you'll only see the one, the one time. But if you're, I mean, especially if you can shoot far and you're good. <laughs> yeah, 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 without a doubt. So, we'll see. Um, it's looking... I've done very dismal in the draw myself this year, but um, we're booking a lot of hunting clients and everything's looking really good. Uh, but what that means is uh, less personal time hunting for yourself and more time hunting uh, for everyone else. So it seems to be getting like that every year. Well, dude, my, my, my football coach drew that same tag you did same season. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, it's good because, um, one, it's good because, I mean, he's not holding out for a 200-inch deer probably, but... The one thing that's good is is truly like if there's a deer that's unattainable, you can whack it from a long distance away. Just be like, Cal, uh, will you come here? <laughs> so it'll be it'll be good because I'll be in there with them. I get back from Alberta in time, so I'll be in there with them for the whole season. Awesome. We're looking at yeah. I'll, I got to see how the schedule lays out, but I'm going to be in Africa um, the last two and a half weeks of October, um, and then I'll get back and and it'll immediately be rolling into that. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it'll be, it'll be cool. But well, man, I, I should probably go. I'm on my fourth podcast today and I haven't really got any actual legitimate work done. Um, but, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me. And, uh, I hope it all came across the right way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where can people, uh, find you so you can get more Insta famous? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, um, the outfitting business, cheap mountain outfitters, uh, on Instagram and my, my personal Instagram is, uh, Cal underscore Halliday. I'm on there. I, I post as much as uh, much as I can, but uh, sometimes get too busy and got stuff going on. The last few weeks, I've been out on some military training and uh, super bored, so I've been posting a little more. 
Yeah, gotcha. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll talk to you either way, I'm sure, a ton. But have we got you a new frame yet? Uh, It's on the way. I ordered it with Dana the other day. I ordered one for Shelby and myself. Oh, cool, 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 man. All right. Well, man, I'll uh, stay in contact with you for sure and definitely obviously link up on this hunt or whatever. But uh, yeah, take it easy, man. Again, thanks for coming on. All right, buddy. Take care.